Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. On this week's podcast, I'm excited to be chatting with yacht charter guru Dick Schoonover, manager of the crude yacht clearinghouse Charterport BBI in Tortola. He's recognised as being a true legend in the international yachting industry. Hi, Dick. Lisa, good evening. How are you doing today? I am fabulous, thank you. I'm sitting in a bit of a chilly room in Queensland, Australia. Whereabouts are you? Well, I'm sitting in my living room. It's... uh... Slightly 12 hours difference from you. So it's uh, the evening yes. uh, on Tortola in the British Virgin Islands. We had probably a, well, it was a cool day today, maybe 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, stop bragging. I've, I've got my well, feet. You live on the Gold Coast. <laughs> I've, I'm in pajamas at the moment and uh, it's morning and uh, I'm, I'm trying to cover up my feet so they don't get cold. <laughs> the beauty of podcasts where you can be wearing whatever you want, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, do you remember where we might have first met? My God, Lisa, I didn't have gray hair back then. <laughs> Are you saying it was just a few years ago? It was just a couple of years ago. Uh, it was here on Tortola at Village Key Marina uh, at, uh, at Caribbean Connections, which That's, was yes. a predecessor to uh, uh, Charterport. Where you, now, where you now work, where you now manage. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to start, you know, sort of from the beginning, I guess. But where, where, where did you come from originally before you came to the islands? I'm a flatlander. I grew up on a farm in Oregon on the west coast of the United States ah. and moved to uh, uh, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands in 1989. That's just a few years ago. Before you came to the islands, what, what did you do? I was a student. I was a graphic artist. Uh, I was a bartender. Uh, I w- was living in Seattle before I moved to uh, the Virgin Islands mm. and was uh, going to grad school at the University of Washington. What were you studying? Uh, well, something pertinent to yachting, of course, uh, the history of Scandinavia. <laughs> that, of course, very useful uh, for, for the Caribbean. Well, yeah. Leif Erikson, uh, you know, the first charter in the uh, New World. <laughs> Your heritage is Scandinavian. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, absolutely. I think you've actually, you've visited um, parts of Scandinavia. Where, where, whereabouts have you been? I've been in uh, Norway, Sweden and Denmark numerous times. Do you speak any and, of the language? And visited, visited the family in Norway. What? Oh, so you have relatives? You're... Oh, absolutely. So how many generations are you into the U.S.? When did your family come to the United States? Uh, my great-grandfather came in uh, uh, 1889. Yeah. That's just amazing, isn't it, to think that, you know, you're in Scandinavia and then you choose to go to this new world. It must have just been an incredible journey. Oh, uh, I can't imagine. And, of course, back then it was a world totally different from 
well, Australia would have been too. Yes. Uh, totally different from what we know today. Oh, for sure. On my, my end of things, it's sort of a mixed bag. So on my father's side, we traced back. A family member had stolen one beehive and had the choice of being hung in England or sent to Australia. So luckily they chose the right way. Um, and then on the other a, side. A beehive. One beehive. I'm kind of proud of that, actually, because it's not a loaf and, of bread. And so he, he got schlepped off to Australia. That's a rather stinging penalty. <laughs> Which is interesting because my surname is Mead and, of course, Honey Mead Wine, uh, yes. you know, it, there's, there's weird connections there. So I'm wondering if a family member stole a beehive. So that's how that sort of happened. But, yeah, and then on my mother's side, they were free settlers. They were goldsmiths. So they they came out, you know, um, not as convicts. So it's sort of mixed blood in, in me, but quite interesting. I'm, I'm kind of glad that they ended up in Australia rather than growing up in England. So it was a good choice in the end. Good. Yeah. Interesting. Now, you were saying that you were a graphic designer, which I had no uh, knowledge of. So what, what sort of jobs were you doing with graphic design? Oh, advertising, that sort of uh, newsletters for people, you know, small well, stuff. In all the years I've known you, I had no idea that there was that uh, that artistic side of you. You've hidden that very well. Uh, there, yeah, there's a germ of it in there somewhere. Uh, it's very sneaky. Do you do anything creative, any artwork at all, just in secret? Well, I mean, for my job, I do Photoshop and, and designing our, our own web pages, that sort of thing. So... It's all kind of internet generated these days. Right. Yes. Actually, you are extremely good at that. I've seen that many times. Wow. Um, now I understand why it's so good. Now, so when you first moved, what, what made you choose St. Thomas to come to originally? Why did you choose to come to the islands? My, my experience is that uh, Americans come to the USVI because they think it's American and they know how things work there, yeah. uh, which is pretty much not true. People who come from the Commonwealth come to, for example, the British Virgin Islands because they think, oh, well, it's British. I know how that system works, right. which, of course, is pretty much not true. Yeah. You know, no visas required, no work permits required. Easy peasy for, for the USBI for an American. Absolutely. And, and so what when you first got there, what, what sort of jobs were you doing in the US Virgin Islands? Ah, well, my, my very first job... Uh, I got snapped up immediately by a, a, a small print uh, company to be a, a, an in-house graphic artist. And vaguely six months later, uh, I moved on to charter yachting. And so how did that come to be? Well, strangely enough, uh, it was a uh, new year's day. I was watching American football at a uh, bar uh, in Charlotte, Amalia and a schoolmate uh, reaches out and grabs me as I'm walking past the bar whoa, what are you doing here? And eventually she was moving on from her job. Uh, her husband was a sailmaker and he was going to England to make sales. She was following. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went in the next day with my resume in my hand and uh, got the job. What was the job? Uh, same thing I'm doing today, except it was for one of my competitors. So that leads me to... Um if you can explain, A, what a clearinghouse is and B, what, what your job entails. We're the calendar keeper and we are the banker for our fleet members. Mm -hmm. So we keep a master booking calendar 
for each yacht in our fleet. We also husband uh, charter funds until it's time to pay those out to the boat. Right. And after that, I'm liaising with charter brokers, liaising with owners, liaising with uh, uh, charter crew and, and, you know, helping them out, giving them suggestions. They come to me. I mean, I, I, I remember so vividly one crew member coming to me. The island, for some reason, was out of plain old everyday bananas. We live on a tropical island where they grow <laughs> and she couldn't find any. And I looked at her and I, I said, oh, well, did you try uh, Port Purcell Market? I've been all over the island. I've never heard of Port Purcell Market. Where's that? Well, Port Purcell. She comes back a week later, having been there, done her charter. How come I didn't know about this? Well, that's what she paid me for. (laughs) (laughs) Have you had any, can you think of any unusual requests from crew? I mean, that's a good one. Is there anything that comes to mind where you've gone, hmm, I'm really going to have to think about this? Oh, my God. We've had, I've had people FedEx in bottles of Tuwaka, an Italian liqueur. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mandatory for the charter. Right. And couldn't find it anywhere. And this was on St. Thomas, which has a pretty healthy liquor larder, larder. Yes. And it was nowhere to be found. And it, I'll admit it's a lovely liqueur, but <laughs> the demand for it is is small. Right. And so called up somebody and said, can you FedEx uh, uh, two bottles in? Sure. The ones that want fresh fish, I think, are one of the most difficult because we we live in a place that's hot yeah. and the population is relatively small. Uh, the market for trout, for example, is kind of limited. The market for oysters is kind of limited. Things, you know, not shellfish, but uh, swimming fish, that stuff, it's just safer if it's frozen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's... it's uh... It's always interesting just trying to work out the logistics of, of tricky requests, but um, in, a, in a fun way, you know, once it, you're able to get it done, it, it, it's just a real buzz. Years ago, before the internet, yes, I had uh, a boat do a charter in the Leeward Islands. The guests were on a, a macrobiotic diet ah. that, and they had uh, a farm in California selling them organic uh, veggies at home. And they had arranged for their organic veggies to all be FedExed in fresh every day. So the the itinerary was kind of set because they had to be in a certain port in order to collect their FedEx parcel. Yeah. The chef is telling me, gosh, this is delightful. I just walked out of the FedEx office and collect my parcel and my shopping is done. (laughs) And my God, I buy this, this uh, produce anytime. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, I, I, you're reminding me of something that kind of relates to what we're talking about. Um, I'm sort of jumping around here a bit, but uh, I came back, obviously, after Hurricane Irma of airways afterwards. So things were starting to improve, but they weren't completely back on track when it comes to being able to get certain things in the supermarkets. They were still sort of getting themselves back on track. And I had, um, I had some guests on board from a European country even though they were aware that there'd been a very bad hurricane, you know, they wanted what they wanted. So they'd requested um, multiple cheese platters throughout the week. And I was only able to get certain cheeses, whatever was available, but that wasn't enough. So I literally spent most of the week sourcing all provisioning agents to try and 
get cheeses brought over from St Thomas and or, you know, just checking in with any shops to see if anything had come in that would be better than what I was able to provide. But I remember that we got to Joost van Dyck and they had wanted special coffee made through a special coffee machine, which we didn't have. And <laughs> so they they said that I needed to go ashore uh, in Joost van Dyck and go to the, the, the shops, of which there are none, maybe one, two or three that sell basic provisions and get the machine and the coffee. When I explained that uh, on a good day that didn't exist, um, they didn't believe me, so they paddled in on a paddle board and said that they would buy the machine and my coffee and come back. Um, of course, that didn't happen because it didn't exist. But, yeah, it's tricky. It's a balancing act sometimes just with certain requests and, you know, trying to keep the peace. But it was, it was rather interesting. And speaking- imagine, imagine what the markup would be on an island of 250 uh, inhabitants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, I guess speaking in, with regards to that, what, what what do you think the pros and cons are of, of living and working on an island for you? Uh, you know, it's interesting. You can't drive anywhere. So, it's you know, socially, I mean, you're forced to look inwards. If, if you aren't into uh, sun, sand, surf, palm trees and rum, uh, you better find diving or windsurfing or something yes because you know our power goes out with some regularity the mail service is uh rudimentary uh you order uh, you order things i order food products from amazon right because nobody has it here and if they did it's still cheaper on amazon yeah so Um, there's there's ways of sort of maneuvering around things yeah but we are a, a tourism economy locally when I go to uh, the wine merchant, they have a nice stock. I'll give yes. them that credit. Yeah. <laughs> but you walk into uh, the grocery store and I mean, I've, I've walked in uh, the day after boat show and looked at the, uh, the green groceries. It was like the locust had come through, but wow. it's because it was because everybody was there for boat show. They wanted to uh, have nice food, nice presentations. They'd strip the place. Now, speaking speaking of the boat show, can you? I, I actually had um, yacht broker Emily on the other day. Just for those that don't know what the boat show is all about, um, from your point of view, what what what's your involvement with the boat show, and how would you describe it to those out there? From the beginning, so our charter yacht shows are in, industry shows. So it's not a, a public show; it's a show for industry professionals. The boats are all on the dock uh, in one marina at a you know certain time uh, in the Virgin Islands. It's the beginning of November. And have purposefully dressed themselves. They uh, are, for lack of a better term, dressed to the nines. Yes. They are, uh, the crews are all spit and polished. The boats are all glossy and gleaming. The bright work, if there is any, has all been done fresh. Right. And they're, they're shining. It's the yeah. way you want to show yourself and looking almost new. Yeah. It's your way of so, making sure that you get a full, hopefully, a, a full calendar of charters from, from these brokers. Yes. Charter brokers want to come and see the boat. They want to uh, meet the crew, uh, see how they react with, you know, someone they've never met before. 
yes. uh, the broker often, and it gives them a hint about how they're going to be when uh, charter guests step on board. Now, speaking of brokers, I can hear the lovely vocals of your lovely wife, Tamara, in the background. Can we bring Tamara in? Oh, she is itching to comment. Itching. <laughs> itching really? to comment. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tamara. Tamara, can you explain what your job is in our industry? I started as a professional provisioner uh-huh. for a major company. Then, after meeting all of the yacht crew, and learning the business, which was a couple of years, then I became a broker. And it was after many boat shows and meeting many of the brokers who told me, oh, you should kind of try and do this. You know everything, you live here. So why not try and do it yourself? That, that sounds like a fantastic idea. And it's nice that you sort of started off in another area, sort of got your feet wet so that, you know, you, you, you were observing what the broker was doing before you actually got into the role. Exactly. What I learned was it was, for in, from my perspective, it was putting the puzzles together. So you have a group of people, X number of people, that want to have a certain charter and they want a certain crew. And it was just matching. It's all about matching the best of the best with the best. Right. And, you know, for our luxury yacht charters, that's what it is. Yes. You know, if you want scuba, we put you with those people. If you want mellow or you want birthday, Everything kind of came together for me because I started at the beginning and I, I would just, oh, you know, $500 wine or, you know, I, I started with provisioning. Yeah. So it, it was simple with me. Right. And, and to make sure that all of our guests' needs were met, whether they were vegan or high-end. We had guests that had their own vineyards that would ship their wine in and Charterport would receive, you know, cases of wine. Yeah. So, I mean, everything is lovely, but sometimes I think I'm not supposed to talk about it because it's kind of secret (laughs) and it's so luxury. Yeah. No, it's, it's, every day is different. That's for sure. You're talking about matching uh, the right crew with the right boat. Speaking of matching, how did you two get together? How did you meet? Oh, well, she was working downstairs from uh, my office. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tamara is also from the Pacific Northwest in the United States. Yes. Grew up a couple hundred miles away from me, but she's a city girl. Uh, We met uh, here on Tortola. So basically, you know, we moved 4,000 miles away from home in order to... uh, to uh, meet each other. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool story. Tamara, you've got quite an interesting background. Um, you were uh, in music before you came over to the islands. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, I was a jazz singer for many years. I went to school in Seattle 
Mm-hmm. I then moved to New York and became a jazz singer. I lived in Paris. I stayed in Ibiza for a while. Uh, yes, I've been many places, but... Um, I think it's amazing. What what uh, what styles of, of uh, music do you like? What are your, some of your, your favourite singers? The best singer in the world is Billie Holiday, baby. Oh, yes. Yeah, so sure. it was always, always about the jazz. Yes. So um, I can't think of a Billie Holiday song. I'm sorry. That's all right. I won't put you on the spot and make you sing. You give me, you tell me one and I'll sing it for you. Um, now you're putting me on. Wish I knew why I'm so in love with you. That's not. Really wow. Bad. But it's now, me thinking about you, Lisa. I miss oh, you so much, baby. I miss you guys as well. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's a long distance between Australia and the British Virgin Islands. That's for sure. So you you both went through a a pretty insane time a couple of years ago when Hurricane Irma and Maria hit the islands. Um, Would I be right in saying that Hurricane Irma was probably the the strongest hurricane possibly the world's ever seen in the history that we know of? Oh, very much. Can you both? It lasted, well, it it lasted as a severe hurricane longer than any other. Can you tell and me the, the build-up to um, the worst of that storm and how it affected both of you? You know, I kept, personally, I kept thinking, it's going to turn north. It's only going to give us a glancing blow. And Lisa, I would mm. like to interject and say, we were all at uh, Nanaki Marina, and all of the marine professionals, everyone is on their device and we're looking at the weather and we're looking at the weather and they're like it's coming it's coming there was a moment where everyone was like you know what everyone needs to go home now really and i'm i'm being very nice about this yeah but really it was a holy shit moment (laughs) and we were like oh my god it's coming it's coming and everybody left the bar everybody left the beach bar because they could see the weather pattern and everyone had to get home. And that was the beginning of Irma Maria. Yeah. The lead up to it was we've all been here before. We've all done hurricanes. Yeah. It can't, it can't possibly be uh, that bad because I mean, in the scheme of things, we've seen these big hurricanes and when they get to be the perfect storm, so to speak, they tend to oscillate and, and, and go up and down. They go from being uh, very bad to uh, back down to a hurricane. Right. And then back up. This one never oscillated. Gosh. It just stayed a superstorm. Wow. And so you, you made it obviously safe, made it home safely. What did you do um, in preparation for the storm? Was it anything that you would have done differently from other build-ups to hurricanes? Oh, we, uh, well, we lived in a nice concrete building uh, with relatively, you know, we didn't have big sliding glass doors or anything or huge windows. So we were fairly well situated, mechanically speaking. We uh, moved a lot of stuff, electronics, that sort of thing, uh, into smaller 
areas, like into closets, that sort of thing. And into plastic. And, and yes. we filled all everything that could be filled with water. Right. We filled it with water. Yeah. As we were told, you know, we there was a list of what you're supposed to do. And we were already prepared. But when when that weather pattern hit and we all ran home, I think almost everyone filled up their bathtub with water. Yeah. Um, they filled up everything they could with fresh or city, what we call city water here, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And batten the hatches. You know, you close your windows, you, you pull out the towels because you know you're going to need them. Yeah, absolutely. And this storm happened during the day, which um, from my past experience isn't always the case. Generally, it's sort of pretty nasty at night. So, I mean, I know that was a mild bonus, but, I mean, watching it must have been just incredible. Just it Was it a, a pretty fast-moving storm or was it slowly building up to what it became? No, Lisa, it was a long day. And it was like two days, darling. Gosh. It was, it was hour after hour and wind and rain and watching other people's furniture whip across our wow. vision while we are we're uh, bailing water from the windows. Yeah. It was very difficult. And there are friends of ours that were down below. Uh, we were above and they were down below at King Garden Bay and literally you know, five feet deep in water. Oh. The water came up over and into houses. So this was a mother of all storms. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Uh, two, two days, three days afterwards, I got down to King Garden Bay, which we can see from our house or we could see from our house mm. and got to uh, a corner by a re well, the restaurant where we got married on the beach, and I'm looking around because the landmarks have all changed. I, I, I'm looking around. Go, wait a minute. Where am I? Oh my god! So you you almost didn't recognize where you were because things had changed so much from the damage. Oh, absolutely, exactly, sweetie. absolutely. Oh, you know, it's funny you say that. I I remember seeing that first footage of East End where they, you know, these poor people walking around just in like a zombie state. And I'm looking at it from an outside point of view, thinking I have no idea where they are. There's nothing there that I can recognize as part of somewhere in East End. It just looked like an apocalypse. It, it did. It looked like an Adam. What, what's that? Artist? Adam Bomb. No, the artist. Adam Adams. It, it, everything was the all the trees. Yeah. The leaves were gone. Right. Everything looked like this dystopian kind of picture. Ugh. And we were so fortunate. There was an 80-year-old man that lived in Cane Garden Bay that had a backhoe. A backhoe. Yeah. And he worked every day from the bottom. He worked his way all the way up the top. And four days, four, five, six days later, he made it 
all the way up to um, what's his name? Oh uh, yeah, Sage Mountain. Sage Mountain. Yeah. So he cleared the road by himself. Wow. But he was up every morning at seven o'clock. What and an amazing we were person! So grateful. Oh, and for every sure. Every time I saw him, I wanted to give him a bottle of water. Yeah. You know, you're just so grateful oh. that there are these lovely people yes. that they have the means, they have the ability, but also they have the sense of community. Absolutely. And this man at 80 years old. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry to cry. No. I am so, always so appreciative of him. Yes. And all the other single community members. Absolutely. Helped all of us. And that's the beauty, I think. Out of our houses. Yes. Because the government did not. Right. Yeah. He came by our house about 48 hours after the storm. Right. So, storm was, I think, on a Wednesday. On Friday at five, he came by with his backhoe, moving phone poles out of the way and and trees off the road. He uh, had a guy following behind who had a big, uh, huge pair of bolt cutters yes. to uh, cut wires and cables so that he could move things Yeah, wow. and uh, cleared the road so that he could drive out because 200 meters down the road from us, uh, you couldn't pass and 50 meters uphill, you couldn't pass. Insane. I had walked, I had walked up the hill to the crest where there was a, a lookout bar up there is where the, there was a cell tower that served our, uh, well, the north side of the island. Yeah, Lisa, you remember Stout's Lookout? Yes. Yeah. So that was there, but and the tower was there, but it was actually down on the ground, but it still gave signal. Oh, my goodness. So, so Dick, along with um, the yeah, there was lawyer... A, there was- there was a huge there, group of people there. Yeah, there were several people that actually walked up just to let everyone in their family know, hey, we're alive. Yeah. Well, no, they, they were yeah. out walking around because they couldn't drive. Yeah, right. we can't get down, but and they needed to let their relatives know. We got know. up there and there's a cell signal. Wow. Thank God yeah. for that. And it was only out of three cable or rather cell companies it happened to be my company that was working oh, and the generator was running, powering it, even though it had crashed down into the road and was yeah. laying on the ground. Amazing. Uh, I started calling around, telling people we were fine. Uh, people that I you know, vaguely knew came up and said, can I borrow your phone? Sure. Yeah, no problem. So cute. Yes. Oh, I mean, that, uh, such a relief to be able to start getting as an outsider from, from where we were you know, just realizing that people were okay and that, thank goodness, there'd been very few injuries and certainly deaths. I Right. And that, Lisa, but as brokers, we both had the same coverage. So we had international yes. long distance. We're giving our phone to everybody. Right. They're calling their sister and their mother and their yeah. cousin. It was, it, it was a harsh thing, but a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, Absolutely. and we were so happy to be able to do it. Oh, for sure. Um, I lived, as you both know, up on uh, Joe's Hill, and I my apartment was 
up quite high on the hill. I was luckily back in Australia when the storm hit, but my neighbour, Dion, who's a paramedic, was at home and we lived on the top floor. So the roof blew off during the storm. And of course, it was extremely dangerous for him to be staying there. So in the middle of, of the worst of it, he, he was running down Joe's Hill with bits of oh. debris flying everywhere to get himself to the hospital, which he managed to. Um, his mother, who's also a doctor, was actually at the hospital, but he said it was just frightening. He had to make that decision. Do I stay here and, you know, maybe get hit by something or do I risk it and, and go somewhere where it's more safe? So it yeah. was pretty, pretty insane. So how long do you think it took for the islands to sort of get back to a, a place where things were reasonably working okay? Six months. Six months. Yeah, that's a long Definitely. time. We, yeah. we got electricity at about, what, uh, five months. Yeah. Yeah. Six months, actually. Yeah. But, you know, it was. Uh, Incremental. Uh, yeah. The cell companies got up and running faster. But we are extremely grateful to the Canadian crew. Remember? Yeah. We had a, a group uh, from Quebec uh, that were uh, stringing line. And very, and- very very for- fortunate they were here and oh, they wow. came with their own materials so they had these vehicles that would just go ka-chunk and they put down a pole a guy would shimmy up it and and they did it like they did carrot bay mm-hmm. in a day they strung that whole place up in half a day wow and Every time we saw them, I, you know, we would say, love you, you know, and they were up at the crack of dawn and they worked till night. And the cool thing is, apparently, this is all they do. It's they are emergency junkies or something, not junkies. Well, you know, they, they are emergency professionals that go to all the islands. So they had been to a couple other islands before us. Uh-huh. They came to us and they went boom, boom, boom. And they started stringing lines, taking down the ones that were kind of scary that were going to. Yeah, they uh, basically they rewired the entire island because there was nothing for free, nothing viable that was left. Right. And anything that was still standing was not viable and they are a non-profit they do it for free all over the caribbean so when irma maria hit yeah we were maybe the third island to receive their gorgeous work unbelievable yeah i mean and, and i think was it the obviously the british navy came in whether was there any other navy from any other country that that came in no no there- the Royal Navy came in, the Royal Marines uh, were on shore uh, and they were uh, the first, first, first responders. Uh, After that, we had uh, police volunteers who came over from England, uh, from Bermuda and from the Cayman Islands Uh to assist. And is it true that at some point they had to let the prisoners out because they were concerned for their well-being up at the prison? Well, no, they, the integrity of uh, Her Majesty's prison was compromised, shall we say. <laughs> and so, you know, some of them uh, chose to uh, 
uh, leave because they were concerned for their family members, and rightfully so. Yes. Uh, it seems that they kept coming back for dinner, though. <laughs> the food, I've always heard the food's very good there. I, I've heard that they just kept, you know, they might leave and go home, but they'd come back for dinner. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. So moving moving on from the horrible hurricane, so things got back to normal and everything was ticking along. We've got a beautiful new British Virgin Islands with lovely, freshly painted new buildings. And then... COVID-19 hits. So how did that affect things for your business? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, two and a half years after the fact, we, we went from people wondering if they should come on vacation at all because, you know, we don't want to go to uh, Hiroshima. We don't want to go to a, a disaster zone. Right. Uh, you know, about the time that that was ticking along and, and it was a distant memory, but a bing, but a boom, right there at the cusp of the busiest time of the year, everything locks down. Yes. I mean, it's just like you couldn't have picked a bet. Well, the only better time would have been Christmas Day. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The timing was terrible. I mean, for everyone, obviously, around the world. But um, so you obviously you had to go through a period where you were having to either reschedule or cancel charters. That must've been just a nightmare. Oh, I mean, I, I joke with people about, you know, I reprinted my business cards to, a, you know, my title is rescheduling agent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it got to a point where the British Virgin Islands government um, decided that they would open the borders and allow charter guests in, but under certain situations. Can you explain in the beginning how that was working for the charters? Well, initially, people were reluctant. It wasn't the disaster zone scenario as much as I think, you know, I'm going on vacation to a jail. I'm going into quarantine. Yeah. Uh, and you paid for this? Right. Would be the question. It took a while to warm up to it. And so Christmas and New Year's, when every boat on the island should have been out. In fact, uh, the anchorages were desolate. Wow. It, it wasn't much different here from wherever it was those people call home. Yeah. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't traveling at home either. You know, they weren't going to see grandma, you know, 200 miles away. Right. So, you know, to travel a thousand miles or, or more to go to the Virgin Islands, it just wasn't on people's uh, agenda. Right. Yeah. It wasn't until we, we opened the borders here uh, with uh, a lot of protocols involved on December 1st uh, last year. And it wasn't until uh, February that we had uh, a number of charters go out. Right. Uh, meanwhile, over in the United States Virgin Islands, where they had no protocols, they were going gangbusters. Yes. Yeah, that they, they now, certainly now, worked out. That being said, yeah, I had one crew over there that did catch COVID from their uh, charter guests. So wow, not not exactly foolproof on their side either, um, right? And of course, that was actually before they started cranking out the vaccines as well, right? Um, can you explain? There was um, even though there was a four day quarantine period on board the charter boat. 
you were able to go to a certain amount of islands and some beaches. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Um, if you were, if you were, your holiday was on a charter yacht, you weren't restricted to uh, the marina. You could get on the boat. The boat could navigate around. The government had uh, delineated uh, a number, a fair number of anchorages uh, around the islands and called them their quarantine anchorages. And those were the ones you were supposed to use for your first uh, uh, four nights. They didn't involve uh, any of the anchorages where there were beach bars or what you might call shoreside attractions. Uh Uh, But there were places where you could step ashore and go to the beach, that sort of thing. Right. But it it was designed to not encourage breaking social distancing. Yes. And recently, there's been a change in in the restrictions for uh, joining boats in the British Virgin Islands. Can you explain what how how that's changed? So now, you can if you are fully vaccinated, uh, you need to test before you leave home. You go onto uh, a gateway website and file your uh, testing results. Tell them uh, what boat you're going to, and uh, they uh, send an approval, and away you go. And now, you, you know, you get here. There's no testing involved on arrival. Wow. You're, you uh, go off and uh, go on charter and uh, have a good time. Which I would believe would be making bookings a lot easier. And obviously, uh, boats are, are really piling up right now for the, the coming season. Well, we actually, people are fighting about this summer because uh, people are itchy to travel. That is so good. Yeah. Christmas I'm, Wonderful and, news. Yeah, you know, they are fighting about next season, but I mean, the itch is on. People want to go now. Oh, that's that's just fantastic. I mean, it's it's so nice to 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 have something positive coming back. Um, I guess this is a question I've been asking my guests um, regularly, but um, you're obviously working on the side of booking guests and and managing the boats. But if you were a guest and you could choose any boat, any size, and any destination, what boat would that be and where would you like to go for your vacation? Me personally, uh, I think that I would like to visit French Polynesia. Mm. I think that uh, to do that, I would be interested in something like a Gunboat 60 catamaran. Uh, not, Not the most plush boat but it is fast yes. and it, it draws almost next to nothing. So you can quite literally drive the boat up to the beach and uh, step off in uh, half a meter of water. How, how fast do those boats go at maximum speed? Do you think? Uh, they're 19 knot boats. So oh, wow. uh, t- uh, let's just say 20 miles an hour uh, kilometers. That'd be about uh, 30. That's just insane. I think I think that sounds like a fantastic vacation. <laughs> imagine imagine your house rolling down the uh, the motorway at uh, thirty yes. kilometers per hour, but it doesn't come with any brakes. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Dick, I, I want to thank you and Tamara for for joining me today on this podcast. Um, it's it's really interesting. I've been trying to. Um, chat with people from all areas of our industry just so that people have a more of an understanding on on who people are and what they do. And it's really nice to be able to just hear what what it is that you actually do. Uh, And 
about your life in the British Virgin Islands. So thank you both very, very much for joining me today. Uh, Lisa, it's been my pleasure. Thank it's you been, for having us. It's been so long since I've heard your voice. I mean, we, we <laughs> chat, uh, you know, texts, but... 18 months since we have a kiss. So yes. when you come back to the BVI, yes. we cannot wait to get on... Mm, what's my favorite boat, baby? Oh, Sail Away. Or Bagheera. Yes. There are many lovely yachts. There's Nutmeg. There's, oh, so many beautiful yachts here yes. in the gorgeous BVI. And this time, you would have to be a guest. I, and would, not I would love that. I, and I, I, I said to someone the other day, I, I promised to be a very good, I think it was to Max and Whitey, I promised I'd be a very good guest on their boat. We <laughs> 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 have so many crew and chefs that are now using your recipes. I, I, had, I had a dinner last night and she said, oh, this is a Lisa Mead recipe. Wow. And I won't tell you who, but <laughs> I just want you to know that you are also a legend in the BVI. Oh, stop it. In luxury. No, you are a luxury. Luxury. Yacht charter chef. Wow, that's very you are awesome. <laughs> no, it's you know it's true, baby. I I thank you very much for that compliment, guys. Should I a, tell my last story or no? Uh, well, yes, you can tell your last story. The one how you got your private uh, refrigerated truck. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well the story goes that Chef Lisa Mead who had won more than three awards at yacht shows. And she was that with was, my tap dancing skills or? Yes. No, <laughs> no, with your culinary skills. And then it turned out you became the third on a luxury yacht. So you were banking so much provision that at one point, I can't remember, was it Bobby's or was it Right Way? But they gave you your own refrigerated car. Yes. But they said, I don't care if, if you only, you know, you can shop at our store, but we're going to give you a refrigerated car to shop at every store. Yes. And I remember when you... Your, your private car drove past and you stopped for a minute and I just smiled and I looked at you and I thought, this is fabulous <laughs> because charter yacht exclusive chef gets refrigerated truck, <laughs> which is very important in the BVI. It is. I was very lucky. It is. Yes. To have a refrigerated truck was awesome. It was. And it was better than any were, diamond ring. And <laughs> you were always going to be the superstar oh. because you are the one and only Lisa Mead. You are Mwah. very kind. <laughs> that if I could, you know, you no, were... but it's a true story and you are the only one. Wow. And I'm we giving love you, a, Lisa Mead. Tabra, I'm giving you a virtual hug right now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't wait for the borders to open. I know. (laughs) Guys, love you, baby. So love you too, and thank you both very much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, Lisa, it's been fabulous. Thank, thank you for having us. You're very welcome. Bye bye. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.